are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Doug Norrie of Locked On Nets. The Nets are now losers of eight straight games in a row and facing quite a bit of turmoil. Will James Harden still be a member of the Brooklyn Nets after the NBA trade deadline this Thursday? Then we chat with Charles Mockler of Locked On Clippers as the Clippers send out Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, and Justice Wenzel, as well as a future second-round draft pick to acquire Robert Covington and Norman Powell from the Portland Trailblazers. How did Powell and Covington look in their Clippers debut, and can we expect more moves from the L.A. Clippers ahead of the NBA trade deadline? Lastly, we chat with Evan Damarell of Locked On Cavaliers as the Cavs make a trade to acquire Indiana Pacers, Karis LeVert. How big of an acquisition is this for Cleveland? What will Karis LeVert look like sharing the backcourt with Cleveland's Darius Garland? All of that and more coming up in just a moment. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. As always, thank you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Doug Nori of Locked On Nets. You can follow at Doug Nori on Twitter. Doug, I'm t- man, when it when it rains, it pours in Brooklyn. Apparently, eight straight losses. Now twenty nine and twenty four on the season. Seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. Play in bound potentially. It looks like Joe Harris potentially with an ankle injury. You know, setback as far as that is concerned. Kyrie Irving still just playing in half the games. Kevin Durant not expected to be back until after the all-star break and James Harden, you know, unhappy in Brooklyn, maybe on the way out. Steve Nash says he's not on the way out. There's so much going on in Brooklyn right now, Doug. I mean, at this point, we got to start with James Harden because if he is truly unhappy in Brooklyn and has the chance to potentially walk away with this summer, it feels like the Nets are almost in a position where they have to deal him at the deadline or risk losing him for nothing. But then you have Steve Nash turn around and address the media very publicly and say, we are not trading James Harden. So at this point, Doug, what course of action do you foresee the Brooklyn Nets taking as we're walking into the NBA trade deadline right around the corner? Yeah, man, it's so crazy. Like we're just at this like crazy inflection point that is so hard to discern what actually is true and what isn't. I'll say, you know, Nash comes out and says that they're not trading him. He's pretty definitive in his statement, right? So you have to take him at face value. But you also know that like the reporting that came out around the Harden thing is not of the hot take nature. This is like shams and woes, and this is sourced. And these guys do not just post hot takes. They post facts, right? Like they post things that tend to come true. And so this is where you can't, like this isn't just some, you know, like I said, like some hot, some hot take stuff. Like you have to put some fire with around where the smoke is coming from. So I think that right now, if I had to make a bet, my bet is Harden is a net through the trade deadline, right? So I think that that is, that's where I put my money. I wouldn't feel great about it because I don't think the Na- I don't think the Nash thing is some kind of just you know put in pen total law. Now he's not the she's still not the GM. I, I'd be shocked if they you know weren't having internal di- dialogue about what's actually happening here. 
but there's clearly it all this all cropped up from a certain point point of truth i think right it's like that harden is not happy here it's not working out the way he thought it was going to be he knows daryl Morey. there's lots that you can put together i i think right now i would say he's there through the trade deadline but i can totally see why it's a thing and even if he's there through the trade deadline you have to believe this is going to be a constant source of like discontent for the rest of the season because you can't put some of these things you really can't put this kind of toothpaste back in the bottle at this point so i i think even if he stays through the deadline the nets just have their fate it's like this weird existential crisis they're going through right now about like what they are as a team it's just it's all it's just all downside you went through the list to start the list is never ending about all the crap that's gone wrong it, it is just across the board. I'm telling you, it takes up a paragraph on my notes, like just to make That's sure right. that I've got, got all my ducks in the row. Just to I was going to be like, hey, dude, come on. Jesus, like piling <laughs> on at this point, but it's all true. Right. It's just, it's just facts, unfortunately. And that's, that's what the Brooklyn Nets are faced with. But Doug, I mean, at this point, there's so many, I feel like anybody trying to boil it down to any, any one single variable, right? There, there's so many, there's so much nuance here to what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets, but where are you allocating, you know, most of the blame or, or the frustration for where the Nets kind of find themselves at this point in the season? Okay. So I think it's actually pretty easy and I hate to say it like this. It's just incredible bad luck. And I'm actually not like a bet good luck, bad luck kind of guy in general. Like I just tend to want to deal in probabilities and, and, they use numbers as kind of like the basis for a thought process. I will say with the Nets, it is incredible bad luck that where they are, where they sit right now. And I'll go through each a couple key points. One, injuries have totally unhinged them at just the wrong times. It's been the theme since the big three have kind of come together is they have not been able to stay on the court together all at the same time because they keep getting injured. Even some guys like Harden, who's not necessarily even injury, has not been injury prone. So I think bad luck. Uh, is is there number one two i think that the like and i'll I'll throw the i'll actually throw the Kyrie thing into the bad luck category too because he just it's bad is he kind of a flake yes but is it bad luck that the mandate thing just happened to be in his city like one of three or four cities that end, end up doing this thing like that's kind of bad luck a lot of players have not that have not had this problem that are unvaccinated and continue to play it's just like it's a new york thing and that's you know, it's bad, like whatever. And so I think those two, I think those two pieces combined with the nets are just built in just the wrong way to be able to survive this kind of stuff happening. Cause they're so top heavy in terms of the three, the big three salaries that it's, it makes it just the cat each time, every time they miss a game, it cascades into the rest of the roster because they just can't make it up in the same way other teams can. If you look at all these other teams that are dealing with players lost, they're not dealing with the massive amount of money at the top that then what happens is the the talent at the bottom is so much more diminished than these other teams that you just can't make up the difference. Cause yes, every team deals with injury, but they're not built this way. The only other team that's actually built this way kind of is the Lakers. And we've already seen what's happened with this team when they lose guys. They're, a dis- they're also a disaster, <laughs> right? So, like, this is where these are the central points of where the Nets' problems are. The problem is that from a narrative perspective, that doesn't really play from a, for when the media talks about it because they're going to talk about the vaccines. They're going to talk about hard and being a shave. They're going to talk about, like, the rules. They're going to talk about this other stuff. But it really does, to me, come down to that. It's like... They just structure the team in a way that was going to win the championship if the big three are healthy. They're not slash they can't play. 
and they just aren't when you're built like that it's so tough to survive if you have problems and that's why i said the lakers are good comp the lakers are another one like they've underperformed because they've gotten hurt and have had other problems and when you're a team that's built like that this is just the problem so i don't know i don't know if that answers it but like that's what i that's what i think the core problem is that it's just that's not going to be the media narrative because that's just not that much fun to talk about no, and but when you look on paper, right, this Nets team was supposed to be like immediate, you know, custom built championship favorites. And that's exactly what the goal was going all in for trading, you know, the next sure. almost decade worth of picks for James Harden. But Doug, I mean, how rough does that does that trade look for James Harden if the Nets decide, you know what, we're gonna try and stick it out with James. We're gonna try and get this situation figured out. They walk into this next summer, and if James bolts for nothing. I mean that in in high, you know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but in retrospect, how how bad does that trade look for the Nets, man? It's already looking bad, frankly. And you would do it ten times out of ten. So I don't think that that's I, I'm not going to do revisionist history about that. Like you do it every single time, but the results are already looking bad. I don't think he would bolt for nothing because I think they almost have to sign and trade him to like any other team that would want to take on his salary. So there's a world where there's a world where he doesn't it's in everyone's best interest to actually sign and trade him. Right. So like, I think that, I think that I'm not maybe for my own just emotional hedging here. I'm not, in the, I'm not operating in a world of he's going to ball for nothing. Cause I actually don't know if I can handle it, but this is where if you, if you kind of take the, the tea leaves around, not the tea leaves, if you kind of like just take um, a test of where Nets fans are right now, this is actually why a lot of Nets fans have already talked themselves into the hardened trade now, because it, it hedges against that possibility. And there's a, there's some mental gymnastics you can do where it kind of helps the team to do it now and bring in Simmons and bring in like some other smattering of other talent, you know, Curry, Thibel, whatever it ends up being. And this, and I can already see the emotional hedge that's going on around Nets fans because they just don't want that to happen. I don't think he walks for nothing, but I do think that we are close to the off the rails point on this. And it's just going to be tough. It's just going to be such a tough road to hoe. Like from now on, even if he stays, if he stays, the only thing there's only one here's and this is probably the definitive point here. The only thing that saves it is if they win the championship. Like, and that's it. It's all it's championship or nothing. And there's really no middle. Nothing else can happen. You have if if he stays now, you have to win the championship. Otherwise, you are. It's just a it's a massive L. Almost no matter other way it, it kind of plays out. So. Ah, man, you can hear it. I, like, I, I've been spent all weekend on this. <laughs> this, has been, like, I, this has been a disaster. It's, it's so bad. It's gone wrong in a way, in a historically bad way that I don't think will ever be recreated. Thank God they have KD already resigned on the extension. That's the only, it's the only thing that kind of gives me solace is that he's in that for the next few years. And he's the one that's going to age a little more gracefully. A silver lining, however slim, that Katie is signed for the next you know few years that he's locked down long term. But I think you you summed it up beautifully there, Doug. I, I think it is championship or bust at this point for the Brooklyn Nets. It'll be really interesting to see how the rest of the season develops. Will James Harden be a Brooklyn Net past the trade deadline? You're gonna have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Nets. Doug, thank you for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. All right, bro. Thanks a lot. Coming up. Norman Powell and Robert Covington are now members of the LA Clippers. How do they look in their debut? And can we expect more moves out of the LA Clippers ahead of the NBA trade deadline? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because look, this time of year, right? 
lot of people are usually giving up on their New Year's resolutions, but not me. And that's because I have the power of Built Bar in my hands. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes so good. It's basically a candy bar that is jam-packed with protein. And they've got so many amazing flavors to choose from to help you stick to your New Year's resolutions. Because, hey, they're helping me stick to my New Year's resolutions. They've got strawberry, mint brownie, peanut butter, I, you can't go wrong with any of the flavors. Cookies and cream, coconut brownie chunk is my absolute number one favorite. Every single bar is low cal, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Amazing if you're on a keto diet. Amazing if you're trying to lose weight. Amazing if you're trying to stick to your New Year's resolutions. And you can check them out. Just go to built.com and use promo code Locked 15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code Locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, where we thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. The NBA trade deadline is Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern time, and the Locked On NBA podcast will be covering it live from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Join Kim Becker, John Corrales, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to get analysis of every blockbuster move. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA YouTube channel and turn on your notifications so that you know when they go live. Joining us now is Charles Mockler of Locked On Clippers. You can follow at Charles Mockler on Twitter. Charles, the, the Clippers making a deal to bring in uh, Norman Powell, Robert Covington by way of the Portland Trailblazers, sending out Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, Justice Winslow, and a 2025 second round pick by way of the Detroit Pistons. Honestly, did Covington and... Powell even have time for a cup of coffee before checking into their first game as <laughs> members of the LA Clippers because it feels like the trade just happened and they're already suiting up and hey they, they look pretty good in their debut well I don't think they had time for a cup of coffee but I think that's just what the NBA schedule is at this point um Norm Powell checked in and he showed exactly what the Clippers need at this juncture right like he can score when he really wants to which is great um Covington's going to be a good wing kind of not as a main contributor once we have everyone healthy, which is great to see. Um, but I mean, they were as good as you could have possibly wanted them to be. And it's, it's interesting because there's some more kind of chatter that uh, Covington might be moved again before the Thursday trade deadline, but we'll see what happens with that. But right now, I think if you're a Clippers fan, you have to be very excited about next year specifically when everyone's fully healthy. Yeah, Norton. I mean, Norm Powell finished with a pretty stellar stat line. He had 28 points, came away with four assists on nine of 16 shooting, four of eight. Now it was in a blowout loss against the Milwaukee <laughs> yeah, <sure>. Bucks, so <laughs> you know I, I have to include that part as well. I'm sorry, Charles, but you know it, it is one of those things where you have to be excited if you're the Clippers about what his addition to this you know Clippers team looks like when you have a healthy Paul George and Kawhi Leonard further down the line. Now. I find it interesting that you bring up that angle about Robert Covington and the fact that he may be moved again before the NBA traded line coming here just right around the corner this upcoming Thursday. Because I was going to ask you, can we expect any more movement on the trade front from the LA Clippers? Or do you think they're kind of you know done headed into the NBA trade deadline? I think you can. Um, I think there's obviously a pretty kind of clear message that the Clippers want to get a little younger for this window. Like you look at... Um, you know, Norm Powell's contract, it lines up. He's he's on contract for the next four years after the season. So his contract lines up kind of with the same in terms of max years that like Kawhi or PG would sign. 
I wouldn't be surprised if Serge Ibaka is, is moved. We have Zubats. You've seen Hartenstein really kind of make this case for a complimentary one-two center situation. And Serge, you know, there's been some friction with his back surgery and all this other stuff um, with the team. So I wouldn't be surprised if Serge Ibaka is moved. And also a name that's been kind of moving around the scuttlebutt, for lack of a better term, is Marcus Morris. Um, if, if you want a, a position we can maybe get younger at, at the wing, Marcus Morris is a guy you could maybe upgrade if you can find, you know, the spot to do it. And Lawrence Frank and the whole kind of Clippers front office is one that is really always trying to find spots to upgrade where they can on the margins. You know, I, I look at this, though, back to the, the Powell-Covington trade. One, I think this was an absolute steal. For the oh Clippers. yeah, you, yeah. I mean, no one hates this trade except for Portland Trailblazers fans. Like truly, like. I, I feel like there there are you can't make any excuses from the the Blazers angle of this. This was like a pure like just they're just trying to get off salary. Like there was no you know it, it, under the guise of you know oh Anthony Simons looks really good. No, no, that's I I don't think you can yeah. come away with that. Not that good. No, this, this was this was an absolute win for the Clippers. But I do find it interesting. You know, if Covington is moved again at the deadline, I, I thought Covington was a great pickup, honestly, for this Clippers team. And yeah, he's going into this upcoming summer. His contract's going to run out. You'd have to renegotiate and get him back under, you know, lock and key. But at, at the end of the day, I, I thought Covington was a solid pickup in the sense of having a bunch of, you know, versatile wings that you have alongside PG and Kawhi further down the line. Do you think it'd be a mistake? for the Clippers to try and flip him again at this deadline? Or would you like to see them kind of keep him as one of the long-term pieces? There's a bunch of stuff at play with this, right? Like, so Amir Coffey, for those who haven't watched the Clippers, has kind of emerged as a guy who's on a two-way contract, but who could play like the two or the one, but a bigger two or one than what's usually possible. And Covington is a wing on a team of pretty much all wings, except for like Reggie Jackson now at this point. So part of it is I think the Clippers are like, we do need a backup point guard in the sense of kind of regular season play and stuff like that. But I kind of hope we keep Covington. He's not going to be the starter. He's not even going to be maybe the second string when everyone is fully healthy. You got Batum, you have Marcus Morris, you have Kawhi and PG. Like you have four wings who are, elite at what they do in this specific offensive system. And I trust Tyloo to find a way to make it work. But if they can't find an upgrade at any other position, I hope we retain, you know, Covington. He's going to, he's going to take less than like the, I think it's like 11 mil or whatever he's at this year. Like that's not going to be the contract next year for sure. Um, especially on this team that has a bunch of wings, but it just offers more flexibility and just kind of more, you know, what if possibilities for this front office that has been very creative and very tight lipped with what their next moves are going to be. You kind of hinted at it there momentarily, Charles, but obviously these two guys, you know, need time to get acclimated into what the Clippers already have going on this season. And you did kind of mention eyes are kind of set towards, you know, next season at this point with so many questions regarding Kawhi and PG and, and you know, the unfortunate likelihood that, you know, it's very distinctly possible that, you know, PG doesn't return this season, that right. this might be one of those seasons that the Clippers are just kind of punting, unfortunately, but, that said, you know, if Covington, you know, does stay past the deadline, kind of what are your expectations for how those two guys are involved in this current Clippers rotation, you know, starting versus coming off the bench, you know, et cetera, those kinds of expectations. I mean, I think if, if 
the people watching Locked On NBA watch this scintillating shorthanded Clippers versus full strength reigning championship Bucks matchup, you would see that Norm Powell is the best offensive player maybe on the Clippers right now. So he will probably end up starting at some point. I think if Kawhi and PG don't come back, he should be in the starting lineup probably. Um, he can create his own shot. There's just some extra juice there. And for Covington, it's like, let's just see what he can do. You know, like we've had these reclamation projects. We've seen Reggie and Batum kind of be these guys who a lot of people counted out. Um, Covington's last appearance for the Blazers. If you're on NBA Twitter, people were not very excited about um, and things like that. So I think Ty Lu is a great head coach for this kind of scenario as well. Like he's going to tell guys their role and he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's like, this is what you're going to do. If you do this, things will be great. Um, so I'm expecting, you know, I personally, I think one of Kawhi or PG comes back. I don't think we get both of those guys. Um, it's been pretty tight lipped either way on that scenario. And I think you're playing with house money. Like we don't have a first round pick that can be bettered by just not making the playoffs or anything like that. So at this point you're seeing what the core has. And up until this, we've seen what the core has, which is, you know, a, a, a fight to win. We, we've seen some insane comebacks, obviously. And you add the scoring with Norm Powell and you add the defense from, from Covington, which we lost a little bit in that, that, you know, losing Bledsoe and stuff like that. But, you just got to be excited for next year. I don't want to say it's a punt because it's difficult, but in the grand scheme of things, like we have, we could be absolutely very excited for next season. You know, maybe I shouldn't have called it a punt because despite everything going on with Kawhi and PG, this is a Clippers team that has shown a lot of resilience, uh, even after this, you know, loss against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, sure. they, they're still 27 and 28. They're still sitting at eighth in the Western Conference. So it's not like they're in the you know basement of the Western Conference. They're still fighting on a nightly basis. They've still got guys out there winning games. Reggie Jackson recently with the game winner against oh, yeah. the, uh, you know, against Reggie, the you other team out, down the bro. hall. Like, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So this is a Clippers team that I'm not exactly ready to write off. You know, they could be a very, uh, they could walk, they could walk into the playoffs and be a very annoying first round out or that, that exactly. team that you're just not looking forward to having to deal with the one that just won't go away in the play in tournament. And of course, Charles, you're going to have us posted for all of that and more over at locked on Clippers. Appreciate you stopping by locked on NBA with me. Always ready to talk about good Clippers things here on locked on NBA. Coming up, Karis LeVert is now a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. How impactful will he be in the backcourt alongside Darius Garland? What does the long-term fit for Karis LeVert in Cleveland look like? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online, Because Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game just around the corner. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports, scores, podcasts, and news this season. Hey, it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live, real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Now, for your second listen, be sure to check out Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Make a little bit of money with Locked On Bets. Hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is Evan Damarell of Locked On Cavaliers. You can follow at AmNotEvan on Twitter. 
Evan, we've got a, an NBA trade deadline that was kind of quiet, and, and suddenly the Cavaliers are making some moves here. The Cavaliers acquiring Indiana's Karis LeVert just a few days ahead of the NBA trade deadline. So Indiana sending to the Cavaliers Karis LeVert and a 2022 second-round pick via the Miami Heat. Cavaliers sending out Ricky Rubio plus a lottery-protected 2022 first-round draft pick and a pair of second-round draft picks, one by way of the Houston Rockets in 2022, and then one much further out by way of the Utah Jazz in 2027. Now, Evan, first off, Chris Manning, your co-host of Locked on Cavs, and then also Tony East, uh, Tony East of Locked on Pacers, actually predicted this trade almost to a T all the way back on January 29th. So if you're not listening to these respective Locked on shows, you know, we've got the local experts. They're figuring it all out. But what's your evaluation of this trade for the Cavaliers, and, and what type of impact are you hoping to see out of Karis LeVert in a Cavs jersey? Well, I think Karis Levert to Cleveland was kind of one of the worst kept secrets leading up to this trade deadline because when you looked at Levert just in the grand scheme of NBA rumors, he was consistently linked to Cleveland. There's a lot of smoke behind that. And I've heard, and I know Chris has heard as well, and I think Jake Fisher has heard too, uh, that there's some fire to that smoke. And I think the Cavs were a big fan of him. I just know from the Indiana side of things, he just wasn't really a, the proper fit with the Pacers ever since he came there. Granted, that was with two different coaches. Now with Carlisle, like just did not get along with Carlisle whatsoever. So he's looking for a fresh start. I think teaming up with a former friend and teammate and Jared Allen will be a lot of fun. I think Rajon Rondo just kind of firing a little bit of a shot at Sabonis and Miles Turner, saying that Levert hasn't had a lob threat since he was in Brooklyn when he was with Jared Allen is always fun too. But I think this is a smart trade because the Cavs are down two bodies in Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio on the year. Both of those two are honestly offensive hubs, especially Sexton. Obviously he's known for his elite three level scoring, but Ricky Rubio has been a little bit of a revelation in terms of just three point shooting, scoring, playmaking, just a little bit of everything. And just a spark plug off the bench. I don't know if Levert will start or come off the bench for Cleveland. JV Pickerstaff is a coach who has really, preached chemistry being like a vital thing throughout this trade deadline process. And I don't know if he'll rock the boat. So maybe Levert will come off the bench at first, but he provides a little bit of what Sexton and Rubio both provided in terms of some secondary playmaking, some shot creation, some shot making of their own, his own, I should say. And the biggest thing of all that I like about this is this helps Darius Garland in the long term because he has a nagging back problem. And that's just kind of been a consistent issue since they played Golden State in San Francisco a while back, where he first initially tweaked it. And you look at games where, like when they played Milwaukee, where they put Drew Holiday on him and Holiday just put the clamps on Garland and kind of killed the offense. You need somebody else who can, can take a little bit of that secondary pressure off of Garland so he can kind of thrive a little bit more offensively and just make this offense a lot easier. Granted, they steamrolled the Pacers tonight, so it's not a real true gauge of what this team is capable of, but I think it's a smart move and a little bit of a power play to kind of keep them in the thick of things in the race for the Eastern Conference top record. You talk about the the potential fit, uh, you know, and whether or not he's going to start or, or come off the bench. And I can't help but come away thinking that this is, you know, a trade made to ease the burden, you know, directly on Darius Garland to give him that secondary, you know, shot maker, shot creator on the floor. So I, I kind of lean thinking that he's going to be a starter, you know, at some point, hopefully mm -hmm. next to Darius Garland to kind of make life a little bit easier for him on the floor, right? Yeah, I, I think so. But like I said, Bickerstaff is a big proponent of chemistry and, 
Granted, Isaac Okoro is not known for his offense, but he provides some pretty elite defense at times. Um, Okoro is very confident in his ability and thinks he's one of the best defenders in the league. He's gone on the record saying that a few times now. Um, so I think if you want to sub out Okoro's defense for Levert's offense, that makes a lot of sense. But Bigger Staff is also a coach that kind of stacks the starters with the bench unit a lot. Like you see a lot of two-guard lineups, especially with Rubio and Garland for the better part of the year. And he's trying it with Rondo and Garland right now too. So I think there's options to kind of make things work. But yeah, I think eventually in time, it makes sense to start Levert. So if this Cavs team is fully healthy, if Darius Garland cares Levert, Larry Markin and Evan Mobley, Jared Allen as your starting five, that makes a lot of sense on paper to me. And like you said, at the initial taking up the initial pressure on Garland and helping him find a rhythm early is probably key because he is a bit of a snowball-y player sometimes. And I think that really would help, but I think they're going to have to bring him along slowly. And also Isaac's been playing really well. Granted, like I said, not offensively, but just defensively. And I think you need a justifiable reason just to say, Hey, you're going to start coming off the bench. And if Levert just kind of shows out, it makes it a lot easier for explanation to the team. Yeah, I mean, this is a Cavs team that's been getting things done with defense all year long. So I, I would be probably a little hesitant as well as JB Biggerstaff to, you know, disrupt that continuity that's been established up to this point. But Evan, you touched on this kind of briefly, but how do you also like the the long-term fit of Karis LeVert next to Darius Garland in this Cavs backcourt? And what does that potentially look like down the line for you, you know, when when eventually, hopefully, fingers crossed, Colin Sexton comes back, not this season, obviously, but just, you know, in the future for this Cavs team? Or does this spell the end of Colin Sexton in Cleveland? I don't think it spells the end of Colin Sexton. Uh, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski did note at the end of his write-up on the Karis LeVert trade that, um, Levert's agent and Levert both want to kind of open contract extension talks to the Cavaliers and the feeling is mutual. And if Woj says it, it's probably accurate. So I think it would be smart for the Cavs because Levert is extension eligible this offseason to sign him to a long-term deal. I think if you want to kind of keep him in-house, if you believe he can provide a little bit of that scoring punch, whether it is in the starting lineup or off the bench at the two or the three or wherever you feel comfortable. The Cavs want to go small, they can play up the four as well. But the Colin Sexton thing, when I know I, I shared that just footnote on Twitter, and a lot of fans are like, well, that means Colin Sexton's gone. I don't think that's the case at all. Team building isn't as binary as some people may think it is. It's a lot of it's a lot of fluidity, it's a lot of reactionary stuff. You have to see how Colin Sexton's looking, obviously, after his knee surgery and how he's looking just back out there on the floor. If I were him and his agent, I would not take well, he's with clutch now, so he definitely won't take a qualifying offer going forward. And he'll sign either the Cavs let him test the waters of free agency and then they'll match any offer he gets as a restricted free agent or let him walk and maybe figure out a sign and trade scenario. But I think they'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But in the immediate future, just this season alone, I like the fit a lot just because, like I said, and you and I have discussed a few times now, he takes a lot of that pre- – Levert takes a lot of that pressure off Darius Garland, a lot of that just – defensive pressure that Garland faces on a night to night basis because it was a common fear that Garland was going to burn out and that it wasn't sustainable to ask him to play 40 minutes and have him go absolutely nuclear on a night to night basis. I think you need to just get him a little bit of support and this is a step in the right direction. And if let's say Colin Sexton's on the team next year and Kadeus Levert's on the team next year and they both signed a contract extension on the offseason, it's just a good problem for the Cavs to have as well. And I was speaking to my buddy, Mac Robinson, about this, who hosts um, for one of the local radio stations over here. I said, it's also a good problem for the Cavs to have. So if the Levert experiment doesn't work out because he didn't work in Indiana and he does sometimes not take the most efficient shots to regenerate his offense, it's a pretty nice trade ship for the Cavs to have, too, because 
Yes, Karis LeVert may not have the prettiest game sometimes, but he has a skill set and a physical skill set toolkit, I should say, that is desirable by any team in the league. So I think the Cavs would have a nice trade chip too if it doesn't work out. But again, cross that bridge when you come to it. Figure out how the fit looks now, and then you figure out how Sexton looks. And again, I don't think this spells the end for him because it just wouldn't make sense asset-wise to really just let a guy that you've spent all this time developing and putting together just go to the wayside just because you traded for somebody that kind of supports you in the immediate future. You know, it's it's really funny, Evan. The Cavs are now almost a perfect what-if uh, version of the Houston Rockets with Jarrett <laughs> Allen, Karis LeVert, and Evan Mobley, who the Rockets could have taken number two overall in this past NBA draft. So uh, excuse me if I start referring to the Cavs as uh, the just the what-if Rockets or the, uh, you know, well, maybe they're the, the multiverse, you know, alternate version of the Houston Rockets. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, let me know before we get you out of here, what's the latest on Darius Garland, who, who's missed, you know, the last handful of games? and also uh, Laurie Markin, and when can we expect them back? Uh, so J.B. Bickerstaff did say prior to tonight's game against Indiana that Laurie Markkinen is now progressing towards light contact in terms of just workouts. I think they're slowly progressing him along. High ankle sprains are tricky, especially when you're that big. I mean, I'll be frank with you. I was at the game when he collapsed to the floor. My fear was when he grabbed the back of his ankles and Achilles injury. And, you know, thankfully it was a high ankle sprain. It still sucks that he's out for so long, but I don't think the Cavs are going to rush him back. They're a very cautious team when it comes to the players and their injuries. Um, some of it might have been for tanking over the last few years, but especially now if you're trying to play meaningful basketball in March and April, you want to figure it out now and maybe not risk the injury in the immediate future. Also, LeBron's not on the roster too, so he's not going to pressure players through the media. But Garland is another tricky scene. So the marketing thing, though, I think he's progressing. He might start ramping up activity towards the end of the week. We'll see what happens, but also just sees how it's how his ankle responds to pregame workouts. Garland though, like I said, he tweaked his back initially when they played golden state in San Francisco a while ago was one of his worst games of the season. Just, it was just compounded one of the worst games of his season. So, and then he follows it up with a triple double against the jazz, but it's been a consistent issue since then. And he's tweaked it a few times. He most recently tweeted in another win over Milwaukee, and he said he was fine. He was fine. They go to Detroit. He just kind of looks a little off. And then they say he shut down against the Pelicans the following game. And then he's didn't play against Houston. And then the, he they didn't play on Friday. He didn't play on Friday. And he didn't play on Sunday against Indiana either. So I think the Cavs again just being cautious, doing right by their players because this isn't this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon this season. And I think you'd much rather have Darius Garland be fully healthy and available in that March, April, hopefully May scenario for Cleveland. And instead of just trying to win these games in February and possibly March as well, or early March, I should say, we're just like these, these like kind of like doldrum points. So maybe he plays a game or two just to kind of keep his rhythm before the all-star break. But I think after the all-star break, you'll definitely see those two back. And Hey, like you said, the what if right now the playoffs started today, the Cavs would host the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that'd be kind of sweet to see Karis Levert and Jared Allen bounce the, team that caused them to disrupt all the good vibes they had over there. Definitely going to be uh, some interesting storylines to follow over in Cleveland. The newest Cleveland Cavalier, Karis LeVert. How does he look? And more. You're going to have us covered for all of that, of course, over at Locked on Cavs. Evan, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me.
That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, the brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, check out the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer.